it's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James, and by my side, as always, is that B-A-double-D-A-double crooked letter, badass, Billy Gunn, together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the VOC Nation, and if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you, suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Stadium Journey Podcast. When you're done listening to the podcast tonight, remember, wear your mask and act responsibly when you're out in public. That's my TED Talk for tonight. After listening to the podcast tonight, don't forget to go to our website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Stadium Journey. And the Stadium Journey Podcast is proud to be part of the VOC Nation radio network. To find our podcast, simply search VOC Nation on iTunes or Android. Or you can find our library of video podcasts on Stadium Journey's YouTube channel. We simulcast our podcast live at twitch.tv slash danlaw83. Hi to everyone who's watching us right now. And you can find every podcast we've ever recorded coming up on the end of our third season now at the Stadium Journey website. Just look under the podcast link on the menu. And joining me tonight, as always, is Dave Cotney. You can follow him online at profan 9 Mark Viquez is on social media at Paul Park Hunter. You can follow our producer, Dan Kalachiko, at DanLaw83. And I'm Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. And we are very happy to be joined tonight by the director of broadcasting and the play-by-play voice of the Portland Sea Dogs, Emma Tiedemann. Emma, welcome aboard. Thank you. Happy to be here. Awesome. Great to have you here. Uh, there's not a lot of live baseball to talk about, but I'm sure we'll find something to fill up the time. <laughs> so. Let's start off by, uh, why don't you tell our listeners um, how you ended up in the great city of Portland, Maine? Uh, Well, I'll keep it short because it's kind of a long story, but um, I've been broadcasting since I was 15 years old and um, fell in love with baseball during a a kind of internship position up in Palmer, Alaska, just outside of Anchorage, and I knew that I wanted to work in baseball, and um, so I spent a couple years in summer collegiate. Um, one year in independent baseball in Minnesota and the last two years in, uh, in Lexington, Kentucky with the Lexington Legends with the mustache logo. And, uh, and then I received this, this job up in Portland, moving on up to AA of the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I started here in March. 
Wow, geez, that's that's a big resume already. Jeez. It's very impressive. <laughs> and, and the first thing I thought of, and I'm sorry if this is insulting, but you look so young to already be, have a resume that long. But so uh, outside of Anchorage, so uh, you're familiar with the uh, the Midnight Sun game? That's something that we've talked about on this show before. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to it because we had our own game in Palmer, and that was up in Fairbanks that year. Um, but I mean, we never use stadium lights, and the sun never set, so it was basically a midnight sun game every wow. every night. <laughs> wow, that's incredible! I can see that. <laughs> so, um, so with, oh, go ahead. No, I just uh, Emma, what did anybody inspire you to go into broadcasting, or did anybody inspire you to become a baseball fan? Uh, definitely, my grandfather uh, inspired me for base or for broadcasting in general, and, and definitely baseball. Um, he was the broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, Dallas Cowboys, uh, Chicago White Sox, and World Class Championship Wrestling, and <laughs> yep. And so, uh, so he had plenty of stories to share whenever I was growing up. And then um, he's actually the one that got me into the booth and uh, gave me an extra headset uh, during one of his broadcasts of a Division Three basketball game when I was 15. And he just said, you know, you've played basketball your whole life. You're a shy kid, but let's give it a go. And, and if you want to say anything, then feel free. And um, I don't really remember saying much, but he says I talked the whole time. And I, from that moment on, I just haven't stopped broadcasting. Natural. So you loved it. That's great to be a certain age and say, wow, I love this and get to do that as an adult. So, Yeah, definitely. I got lucky just finding out my passion early wow. on. Just able to pursue it. Great. You are now totally challenging Dan's ability to keep quiet by saying that your grandfather was a broadcaster in wrestling. <laughs> I am not silent. <laughs> I'll ask later. Okay, okay. Uh, for, so those us, for those of us who are not familiar, Dan is one of the biggest wrestling fans you'll ever find in your lifetime. No! <laughs> <laughs> so, Emma, you said you went uh, you started with a, a like an internship at 15? Uh, sort of. Um, I kind of joined those broadcasts on almost like a week-by-week -week basis um, because I was playing basketball and also a sophomore in high school, so I had other obligations. Um, so when I had a free night, then my grandfather would pick me up from school and we'd go to the arena. Um, and then by my junior year, uh, the, the university just kind of asked me to stay and asked me to essentially join the student radio and TV uh, broadcast side of things and let me expand into volleyball and soccer and softball and baseball. And um, so I was heading, I was over there quite a few nights a week. I, I didn't really um, have a free night off um, the last couple of years of my high school kind of career just because I was always at a broadcast. So, jeez. Uh, so outside of the, the, we usually, when we think of play-by-play -play voices, we think of the big sports, you know, football, baseball, so forth. So you said you've done a, a bunch of different sports. Are there any other, what, are Sarah, I'm sorry, I'm starting all over this question. Um, are there any sports that you love that, you know, people may not think, hey, I could do play-by-play -play for that sport? Uh, I haven't really done anything outside of the usual. Um, I love basketball. Um, and, I mean, each sport 
as a play-by-play broadcaster, you have to prepare differently and um, you kind of have a different style almost with the different sports that you're broadcasting because like with baseball, you have a ton of downtime, a ton of free time to talk about stories and that kind of stuff. Basketball, um, you know, for example, the last two years, I was calling women's basketball for Moorhead State University and I didn't have a partner and we were on radio and I talked the whole time, mostly play by play, very little kind of backstories just because I didn't have time with the action, trying to paint that picture for radio. So um, I think that there's definitely some nuances that, uh, that are between even the major sports. Um, but of course, you know, on ESPN, we see cornhole and, and uh, ax throwing and stuff. So I guess there's play by play for that. Cornhole. Sure. Yeah. Kickball too. I've seen that on, uh, on YouTube. I play a lot of adult kickball and I'm thinking to myself, that can't be too hard to do, especially if you're into the game. So yeah, that's uh, what you could do. Yeah, yeah maybe it'd be Olympic sport. Yeah, somebody who does uh, in arena PA, it's it's the same thing. It's I do hockey and basketball, and mm -hmm. it's it is it's different styles, even just for how you announce lineups and stuff. So exactly. So all right, so uh, minor league baseball has been closed down for this year. What does it look like inside the offices of a minor league team right now? What are you all doing to keep yourselves busy? Uh, well, tons of stuff, actually. Um, we've reopened a couple of months ago, and, uh, and it's nice to see my coworkers in person, um, finally, after three months of working behind a screen. Um, and so we've had uh, one event so far. We had uh, we transformed our field into from Hadlock Field to Had Links, and we have uh, platforms up at the suite level. And nine yeah, and it's it's gone. And we have nine different holes down on the field. Um, and so we have that. Uh, we had that for one weekend, and then starting this weekend, we're going to have dining on the diamond. So fans uh, book their tables ahead of time, send us their food orders ahead of time, and it's very socially distant. Obviously, we have tons of space uh, at a baseball field, and uh, we're going to bring golf back and just trying to you know keep some some fans in the ballpark in Maine, it is uh, pretty strict with the amount of people you're allowed to have, even though we are an open air facility. Um, so we're trying to balance that by still trying to make some sort of revenue and um, still pushing merchandise. And I think that's what a lot of teams are doing right now. Yeah. You really have to think outside the box uh, for the summer of 2020. We've seen uh, Airbnbs at some ballparks, food service. We've even seen Lexington, your former organization, team up with the Florence Yalls in creating their own uh, league where they're going to play each other, I believe, starting next weekend. Uh, so if it's any type of business that muster through the storm, it's baseball. Uh, but how is, how is the, the feel? You, you get to Portland, you're getting ready to, to broadcast, and then you get the news. Did you think it would go this long? Did you have a feeling that you would not be broadcasting a game this year? I had a feeling in May, um, you know, my first day of work um, was actually, we had a meeting at 845 and we were told to go home for three months. Um, so not the best way to start off your, your new double A job in a city where everything's closed down and you don't know a soul. Um, so definitely not awesome. Um, and then, you know, our president and our front office has just, we've been very, you know, open to the idea that, you know, minor league baseball would probably be shuttered for the year. And so it was around May or June that we kind of came to the conclusion as a staff and, um, you know, as everything went on and especially at the major league level, watching 
that sort of mess, <laughs> to put it lightly, of those two sides trying to figure out to have, you know, any games at all or 60 or, or whatever, notice that minor league baseball was left out of that conversation altogether. So once that we picked up on those, we got our statement ready and, um, you know, still plan to have 2020, but already kind of putting some events kind of on the, the back burners of, you know, pieces that we could put in place as soon as there was an official cancellation. So we know that in uh, minor league baseball, especially, the actual job does not necessarily lend itself to the title. So I would think the common person, myself included, would think director of broadcasting, you do the you do the play-by-play, you do some media relations, but I'm guessing that there's a whole lot more than just that, especially especially now. So what is what does your job look like um, for the person who, who is not familiar with the, with the broadcasting department as, uh, as you're coming up the minors, hopefully towards the majors? Uh, I mean, well, right now it's, it's definitely different than say this time last year with Lexington. Um, you know, right now I'm helping transition our website. Um, minor league baseball has a new website, um, format and stuff. And so we have to switch over each page individually. Um, and so we're tackling that massive task. Um, and then just kind of helping around in the office. And then also we have to prepare for all of these events. Um, so, um, you know, the first couple of weeks while we're in the office, we also did stadium upgrades. So we grinded down and painted all the handrails in the ballpark. Um, I've cleaned bathrooms. We've set up the, we had to build the platform. So we had to haul in all the wood ourselves. Um, and then of course, test it. So that was fun to, to actually golf a little at the ballpark. Um, but yeah, definitely the media relations is in there too, especially with that, the cancellation announcement. And, um, you know, honestly, just taking every day at a time, um, there has not been a tarp pool. So I guess that's the silver lining because usually we're always doing tarp pools. <laughs> Oh, yeah, minor league baseball. You never know what you're going to do and be ready to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> 12, 12 years working for a team myself. So, yeah, I, I've done it all. Yep. <laughs> so, how being new to Portland and not broadcasting games, uh, so what have you been doing to keep yourself busy outside of the ballpark uh, in Maine? Have you done a lot of tra traveling, per se? Uh, a little bit. Uh, you know, it's it's a really cool city. And luckily, my sister lives in Brooklyn. And um, so she actually came up a couple of weeks ago to work from home. Their company is still um, working from home for the next couple of weeks. So I've had like a buddy up here. But uh, before she got up here, just kind of, you know, exploring um, with my dog. He loves that I'm home all the time. So um, Me too. <laughs> yeah, on the weekends, we uh, we went camping a couple of times. Um, we were going to go to the beach tonight, but um, we're probably going to do that tomorrow. There's a beach just right down the road here. Um, mm -hmm. I just look up trails and, and cool places to go. Everything is outdoors now. Um, so went to a few brewery, breweries this weekend and um, just kind of whatever Google comes up with. <laughs> you are in a good city for food and for breweries in Portland. It's one of the, the best places on, on the whole minor league circuit. Yeah not just in the area to visit. So you need some recommendations. We hit Portland at least once a year. Okay, perfect. And I used to live in Portland actually many, many years ago. Oh, nice. We can give you some recommendations. Yeah. Whose hand did I see? So as a, a native of Texas, how different, different was it to go and spend a chunk of time in Alaska? 
It was, it was definitely more different than I expected. Um, I went up to Alaska because they were really one of the only teams that responded to my email and inquiry about a broadcaster and stuff. So they offered to pay to fly me up there. Um, I was going to be unpaid, but I thought why not. And so I flew up there and I, I had my kind of, Oh crap moment when we were descending into Anchorage and they were the largest mountains I've ever seen in my life, right next to the ocean, which I grew up in Dallas. So there was no ocean near me. Um, and then to land at like 1030, we got into Palmer at 11 o'clock that night and the sun was still up. I mean, talk about a shock to the system. So once I got over that, that kind of first night and, and meeting my host family for the first time and um, being the only girl in the house too, they only had like sons and then my broadcast partner was with me too. Um, I kind of embraced it and, uh, you know, got to hike on a glacier and, and try to do as many Alaska things as I could. What are Alaska yeah. things? I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just kind of take it in the wildlife. Uh, it took me a little while to see oh, yeah, the scenery. I finally got my first moose sighting and then um, I didn't actually go salmon fishing, but I watched the combat fishing um, in the Kenai Peninsula and, and, you know, kind of just all of those little things that, um, that they just are so proud of. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful scenery out there. And my goodness, you can not seeing. So that definitely is a culture shock. That's the one state I haven't been to. I would love to go there. But one state I really love is Oregon. And your travels take you down to Medford. Uh, any wacky stories from Medford? Any, any memories you've had uh, broadcasting with the Rogues? Um almost winning a championship and then not um that mm -hmm. that's a tough one um but i i mean medford i was there for two years and it was just kind of a whirlwind of, of stepping into a position but i think looking back <laughs> we were uh in my second season we were in the great west league and we had this bus that was notorious for breaking down and i mean this company obviously had multiple buses but for some reason this they kept giving us the broken down bus and so we were driving down to Southern California and uh, actually it might be Northern uh, or Southern Chico. And it was like 115 degrees that day and the AC went out and I'm at the front of the bus and everyone is just sweating. I mean, it's awful. We can't open the windows and we're just cooking in this bus. And then all of a sudden I hear the wind just like whipping in the back. And I look back and the players have taken off their shirts and they're taking turns sticking their head out of the fire exit at the ceiling. I was like, oh my. <laughs> so those are great stories to tell in the future. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, especially on a podcast or to your grandkids. Distant years. I love having, so uh, most fun you probably never want to have again, correct? Correct. Yeah, I really like to have operational buses. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, no, I'm the, with you there. The pro wrestling fan would like to inter interject for a second. Um, so I just realized who your grandfather was. Okay. And holy crap, uh, I'm not going to inundate you with questions about him because it's not about him, but holy crap. I just wanted <laughs> you to know that I knew who that was and holy crap. So my question is, how was he, was he... Uh, 
did he encourage you? Did he, did you meet any resistance from, and for those who don't know his grant, her grandfather is Bill Mercer. Uh, it was a announcer for world-class championship wrestling in Dallas for years. That is a legendary name. Was he um, encouraging? Did he, did you meet any resistance from the man? No, um, none at all. I mean, he, or no resistance. I had all the encouragement. I want to make that clear. Um, uh, no, he was fantastic. I mean, he's the one who, who put me on the broadcast in the first place. And, um, wow. you know, he's still around. He's 94. And so ever since then, he has listened to just about every broadcast I've ever done, um, including Alaska, when at that point, he was living in North Carolina and had to stay up until like two or three o'clock in the morning to finish a game. And, uh, and so, I mean, so I get either a text message, a phone call or an email about the game that night. And now we're on the, the, uh, you know, kind of system of if I had a bad broadcast, I know I did. So I don't need like extra like knife in the wound and then just <laughs> make it worse. Um, so, so it's kind of taken us some time of being like, all right, you know, I know I suck, but I can get better. I know what I did wrong. <laughs> uh, but no, he's fantastic and has been, you know, he's always my first phone call when I get wow. any job or move up a level or anything. And, um, he, he was pretty speechless when I got the Portland job. So he's been there every step of the way. That's great. So I'm glad to know that I'm happy to know he's still kicking because, uh, that, that, that world-class was a hell of a story. <laughs> yeah. He has so many stories about that time too. Oh my God. That's amazing. I'm glad he was, um, did you meet resistance from peers? Uh, no, not really. Um, it, I really have a supportive kind of core group of friends. Um, it was tough breaking into minor league baseball. I, I won't lie about that. Um, had a couple of, of tough interviews of just learning I wouldn't be hired because of my gender and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, maybe I was naive, but I didn't really ever expect to meet that. And, you know, 2018, 2019, uh, you know, I, was, I thought we were all over that kind of sexist stuff. Um, but sure. we're not. If <laughs> um, only, right? Right. So it was just those kinds of things. But ever since I've been in the industry, it's been nothing but support oh, and good. cool to see other females kind of join the ranks also. Good. That's all, uh, Paul, take back over. <laughs> all right. So um, while we're talking about females in broadcasting, um, who, who were your idols growing up? Who were you look, who did you look up to and try to emulate? Um, well, there weren't a whole lot of female play-by-play -play broadcasters, um, but I was definitely kind of aware of like Doris Burke. Um, I think she's incredibly smart and, um, you know, and then I kind of became more aware of Susan Waldman and, and, you know, now of the New York Yankees and now we text mm -hmm. and stuff and it's kind of crazy to text. Oh, nice. oh, nice. Yeah. So, it, uh, you know, it's kind of those women that I, I definitely look up to now and then kind of make sure that if I hear of another, you know, female baseball broadcaster, I slide into her Twitter DMs or whatever and kind of welcome her in because it's a, it's a very small group of us and we need as much support as possible. That was going to be my follow-up question. How, how many other female broadcasters are there around minor league baseball right now? Um, I believe there's four others currently. Out of 160 teams. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Hey, but the number is growing. So, <laughs> so that's good. Well, we're on a day I, I announced today or yesterday that the former Washington Redskins have hired uh, a lady whose name I 
do not have written down, unfortunately, uh, to do their play-by-play. And I believe she's the first to do uh, NFL play-by-play on radio for a team. Is that, is that, that right? That sounds right to me. Sounds right. Well, I mean, it doesn't sound right. It sounds correct. <laughs> correct. Good, good catch. Well, see, it's funny because I one of the teams I work for is a women's pro hockey team. So having women in all positions is just normal to me and something I'm used to. So to hear that it's not the other way, any other way is kind of strange. But then again, I worked in minor league baseball for 12 years, and I can count on one hand the amount of women who held full-time jobs in Pawtucket. So, yeah, I can see both sides. Well, and and I told this before we came on, um, I mean, I crossed paths with, well, I crossed Emma's path. She obviously didn't know I was there, Uh, but we were in Lexington and and Emma was doing play-by-play that was being played in the concourse. And um, we were there as guests of the manager and and their family. And I went back and, and said, wow, you know, there's, there's a lady doing play-by-play on the radio and it just struck me as um i'm gonna use the wrong word here or something it it, it wasn't the norm it was ear catching because it was different um right off the top and and then you know you listen a little bit longer and then you hear the the quality uh and really the i would say the ease of listening um, with Emma specifically. So I, I know what you're saying. It, it It's not the norm and there's far too few. Um, and I think well, it's a slow change, but. Hopefully we're turning a corner yeah, and uh, it won't be so jarring when you hear it soon. Sorry. So if, if I go into an uncomfortable territory here, Emma, just let me know. But with the Washington Post story that came out, last week and the stories of you know mistreatment and uh harassment that have come out um is that something you've experienced at all and i'm not asking you to tell names or anything but is uh, it seems like your experience has not been typical of what we've what i've been hearing from other women in the field yeah uh, i mean fortunately i i really kind of haven't been met with that type of harassment um you know, I, I really did uh, kind of resonate with the quote that's saying, you know, being reminded that you can be replaced in a second. Um, but at the same time, I think that's basically any broadcaster. I don't think that's right. gender specific um, just because it's so competitive. Um, so I think I, I have had it pretty lucky. I've had um, colleagues, quite a few colleagues, actually, other female broadcasters kind of share with me their experiences, which, you know, sometimes you wonder, oh my gosh, you're still in sports. How do you do it? Um, so I've definitely heard those types of stories before, unfortunately, but, um, you know, luckily I haven't had that level of harassment. I've definitely been asked, you know, more trivial questions of, you know, more baseball stats and, oh, well, did you know this guy and this guy, you know, that kind of stuff, um, which definitely is not the norm for my male colleagues. Um, but I kind of just brush that stuff off because, like, as we learned from the story, it could be much, much worse. Right. I guess that's, that's uh, yeah, that's some, a common thing I hear from a lot of my colleagues that I come in contact with is that someone who talks to me will assume I know what I'm talking about when it comes to sports. They always have to prove that they're not, you know, just uh, watching a player because he's cute. They're, they've they've got to prove that they know the sport as well. 
were, exactly. and, and a lot of these women are very accomplished athletes in their own right. So, I, you know what, I, Paul, it's when we started the uh, hockey podcast with Kelly, um, my fiance, <clears throat> and the comments she used to get at first when we started, which would make me laugh because as far as hockey and any of us in this room, I'm assuming for Emma as well, she could run circles around us as far as knowledge and <laughs> with, without the drop of a hat, but she would always have to prove herself, which is kind of like, it's, it's organic. I know she knows more than me. <laughs> That's fine. That's cool. She owns more uh, hockey jerseys than I remember even existing. I, you know, I'm not threatened by that. It's nice to see because as Paul was saying, it, you know, connected it back to wrestling. There's a lot of stories that came out the last couple of weeks. It's all terrible. There's still terrible people. But it seems to be, even in the middle of this pandemic, that more good is supporting the good and the bad is kind of starting to get pushed out. And it's good to see this is Emma. She's just a good play-by-play. <laughs> That's it. <Yeah>. Period. <laughs> So yeah, uh, I agree. And that's the way it should be, absolutely. Um, so the other big news in minor league baseball right now is contraction. Yep. So you're probably safe in Portland, but what is what is the mood like around your colleagues or people you know? I mean, you come from Lexington. Are they one of the teams that's in danger? Are they are they low A or they are they're low A and they are on the list. Hmm. So um, it, it was definitely unnerving um, when we found out, I think it was December um, before the New York Times article came out about the list um, and the, the dreaded list and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of unnerving, you know, you go to work and you think your job is secure because you're in a success, you're with a successful franchise, um, the, the city supports you, the, the major league club supports you, you know, things are great. And then all of a sudden, major league baseball can take that away. Um, with, you know, just making a, a different PBA agreement. So um, we definitely kind of had a busier off season than I think that most people did, especially I think the 42 teams that are on the list definitely were um, having to talk to their Congress people, um, talk to their city councils, talk to their governors, um, get people to lobby for their behalf and um, just kind of making a, a point of saying we're in this community and we do tons and tons of good for it besides just the you know, baseball, um, and, and please keep us. <laughs> so as of now, I mean, it's, it's still all up in the air. Um, last I heard is that they did kind of push the negotiations due to the, the coronavirus. And so that PBA agreement set to run out September 30th. And after that, the landscape of minor league baseball might be very, very different. Yeah. You've got two forces competing to kind of, to, uh, you know, get rid of struggling teams right now. Well, and, don't forget with, with the virus, you have a shift in all of the schedules as well. So not only is, has minor league baseball taking a hiatus, you have a, a drastic shift in the schedule for the NHL and the NBA. And the idea that those sports are just going to pick up next October or November when they would normally pick up is it's not going to happen they're, at the very least they're going to push those back i mean basketball's talking about starting at christmas well wh what's the after effect of that well 
instead of ending in May, then they're going to end in, in July or August or, or whatever. And as much as, to me, as much as baseball thinks that, um, you know, all these extra teams are an expense, it's still eyeballs on the greater piece of baseball. And there's more competition coming rather than just these little, um, you know, single A teams or rookie league teams that are, are competing for eyeballs, keeping people away from watching big clubs on TV and, and other expenses. I mean, you could be, you could have a significant number of eyeballs leaving baseball altogether. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that one of the, the great examples is the state of Montana. Um, they're, all of their teams are, are set to, to be on the contraction list and, and to not exist in 2021. But if you're living in, you know, Missoula, Montana, well, if you want to go to watch a game in person, you have to drive 10 to 12 hours, I think, to the Twin Cities or you have Seattle, which is the same distance. And so it's, it's the development of players, yes, which, um, you know, at the, in the whole grand scheme of baseball and the billion dollar industry, they're really not that expensive to operate. Um, and so you're taking away the development of players, but then you're also taking the development of fans away. And it's fans in those small communities and especially those short season communities that they rely on that entertainment. They rely on, you know, the concession workers. They, that's an extra income for them most likely, you know, maybe that's how they take a trip to a different state and they put that money into that tourism. It's, you know, different things like that, that you take that away. People are going to be bitter about baseball to begin with, and we might lose fans forever. So you're, you're not only taking eyeballs off the big league product, but you're taking it off the minor league product, which instills the love of the game and, and a kid who might want to be a manager one day or a front office employee one day. So the, the ripples in this thing are massive and it's just so much to try and comprehend of why they would want to take this away in the first place. Mark, did I see your hand? Oh, I think Mark is frozen. No, I'm right here. He's just okay. meditating. I, <laughs> that was pretty good, man. You didn't move for a full 30 seconds there. <laughs> yes, I was uh, trying to do the, yeah, I just want to, yeah, I have talked to some teams that are on the, on the list of being chopped off and, uh, it's something like under a million dollars in savings. Right. What it comes out to be, that seems to be chump change <laughs> to, to major league clubs. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think we're all anticipating the worst. If they, you know, these teams do get uh, lobbed off. Uh, I go to Lexington a lot. I'd be a shame if uh, the legends are one of the teams on the, on the, on the list because I think they're they're rather successful attendance wise. I mean, Lexington's a nice sized city. Why would you not want to have a minor league team there? They have great logos and great hats. <laughs> yeah, they they they're one of the first teams to really embrace the wacky logo. The mustache logo, I think, is was sold in all fifty states at one point. Yeah, I think it was one of the top selling hats in the in the country exactly. when it came out. Um, yeah, I mean, speaking for Lexington, I can't speak for the other teams on the list, but. Um, you know, Lexington puts over a million dollars back in the community and whether that is in cash or in kind donations, which the cash donations, most teams will just give tickets away and that kind of stuff. But Lexington focuses even more so on the development of baseball and giving cash donations to the little leagues um, in and around the city, not just Lexington, but um, the surrounding counties as well. So, you know, what happens to those nonprofits and stuff when you take away the, that million dollars? 
you know, some of them are very small and, and they kind of look to the legends to, to kind of help, you know, their cause and, and what have you. And so, you know, Lexington is just a small example of that. You take, you know, if every team is averaging a million dollars put back in the community, whatever that looks like, that's $42 million out. So um, different things like that, that it, it's just unfathomable of not having that minor league support. And it's, yeah, a, and it's another effect. spot to talk about Kentucky basketball. I mean, you can talk about it in between innings and stuff. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Cats by 90. <laughs> so uh, in, in your uh, large amount of travels across the country for, in various leagues, where, where have been your favorites outside of your, outside of your home ballparks to, to go to? Um, I think when I was in Medford, uh, my first year, uh, the Kelowna Falcons up in Canada, uh, we got to go up to Canada and that was my first time north of the border. And it's a great spot, Canada. I love it. Yeah. it's. <laughs> they, uh, Dave is from Canada, by the way, <laughs> okay. to the western part. <laughs> Not Kelowna, but. <laughs> uh, but I just thought it was cool just to be in Canada for the first time and be able to call a, a baseball game in my second country. You know, I think that was that was pretty cool. Um, there was a spot, Kitsap, I think it was Kitsap, um, just outside of Seattle. They had a tiny ballpark, probably one of the smallest I've ever been to. Um, but it was nestled like in these trees kind of, and you have to go over this bridge and it's on one of like the, the tiny, tiny islands just outside of Seattle. Mm. Um, so that one was just gorgeous and, um, actually got to go to Canada again to Winnipeg with uh, the St. Paul Saints. And um, so lots of different places. Um, Lakewood, New Jersey, when we won the championship for Lexington. I mean, it's still Jersey, but hey, we won a championship. So did you have pork roll while you were there? Oh, jeez. I uh, chose not to. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the pork roll. Yeah, Dan and I are from New Jersey. What an Lakewood. excellent what an excellent question you just asked, Mark. You That's said Lakewood, Lakewood, New Jersey. They have the pork roll, egg, and cheese race. Yep, no. didn't have that. You know, Emma made it, the it, better decision by not having any. Well, uh, I'm so thrilled to hear you talk about these little ballparks because the the four of us are always talking about hidden gems, little out of the way ballparks that you wouldn't that wouldn't get any attention, but are, that are some of the best places to go check out. Yeah, they really are. And they're his, a lot of them are super historic, too. Um, there was one in, um, I can imagine the hotel we stayed at in the neighborhood, but I can't remember the city. Um, it was with a purple logo. But it was, I'll have to look it up. But um, it was just... Keep, keep talking, Mark. will figure it out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what league was it? <laughs> What's that? Was it, was it West Coast League or Great West? Great West League. And the, it was the Great was the logo. Um, but I knew that the, the ballpark was really historic, but I had to look it up a little bit, um, to see exactly okay. why. And there, Sonoma. The, no, not was it Sonoma. No, not Sonoma. Um, oh, Lodi. Was it Lodi? Lodi. Yeah. The Lodi. Yeah, there you go. Yep. There you go. Uh, so in Lodi, they, uh, in this old, like ballpark again, it's just like nestled just right off the street. You kind of, if you didn't know it was there, you definitely miss it. Um, but the seating on the left field side down the third base side, um, uh, was original to the, the Giants ballpark, original major league ballpark. But then whenever they redid it or something, they had all these extra seats. And so Lodi bought them and they're from like the thirties or forties, something like that. 
Um, so it's, wow. it's weird things like that you just kind of come across. And if you do your research, like every broadcaster should, um, yeah. little nuggets for the broadcast to help paint the picture. I'll have to look that up as soon as we're done with tonight's podcast. I was unaware that. So th this must be Seal Stadium that those seats are from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think oh it wow. Was the Giants. Um, I can't. I think it was the Giants, but you'll have to look. Okay. It up. Yeah, we'll look it up. So you have yet to experience a ball game at Hadlock, am I correct? That's true. I've never been to a game at Hadlock. <laughs> oh, let's see. What can I tell you to, to expect? I don't know. A lot, of, a lot of noise. The kids love to stomp on the aluminum bleachers there. Oh, boy. Yep. So I'm sure you're sure you know all about the expo right next door in right field there. Yep. Very familiar. I eat lunch there every day or next to it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I am so good what, with Slugger now. So I've had that whole experience. Slugger is one of the better mascots out there. So active during the games. Um, Geez, what was I just going to – all right, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Um, oh, you know what we got to do? We've got to bring – you've got to talk to the, the front office and get brunch with the Sea Dogs brought back. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we live two and a half, three hours away from Portland, but we used to drive up there every day for that, every year for that. Um, they used to have this thing out in the, uh, the pavilion there in right field. Yeah. You'd have brunch with the team. Uh, there would be an autograph session. You could kind of wander around the field a little bit, and then – well, for me, with Selfie, we'd go down to the old port and have some lunch and, and wander around a little bit and then come back for a game later on. So it was always yeah. a great day for us. So, But they stopped doing it four or five years ago. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to the higher-ups. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, geez, what else can I tell you about Portland? I don't know. Uh, yeah, check out – have you had any good uh, breweries? Portland's known for their breweries. Yeah. Any, any favorites you've picked out so far? Um, let's see. I went to Foundation over the weekend. Allagash, of course. Allagash is always oh, one of the better ones. Yep. Yep. Um, I haven't been to Shipyard yet. Um, some of these, like sure. Allagash, for example, you don't, you can't hang out there. It's just right. go only. Um, but like Foundation and a couple of the small ones, they have outdoor seating in their parking lot, so you can, you know, get a flight and kind of hang out there a little bit. But I think Allagash is is probably the the favorite right now um but i try and, and pick up a different type every time i go to the grocery store so. um at shipyard just don't get the halloween ale the pumpkin ale is horrible no don't don't get halloween ale to begin with well yeah it's awful, <laughs> it's awful. We, we bought a case one time because it was five dollars we said yeah you know what no problem everybody will try this it's a flavor and a, a year later i think we still had 21 of the 24 beers because nobody liked it so um one of my favorites is sea dog Oh, yes. Yep. That's a good one, actually. Yeah. Um, geez, and, and the food. So being from Texas, have you been able to sample the uh, Portland cuisine, the, the seafood? Yes. I actually love seafood. Um, so I've had a couple of lobster rolls. Mm. My favorite has been at Portland Lobster Company so far. Yep. Um, Fantastic. Yep. And then, you know, over the weekend, had a nice dinner and had some clams or something in that and so I try to incorporate you know maybe a nice local beer and some local seafood because I've gone a long time without it so oh man uh, see we can't go up into Maine right now because we've been all summer we got to get up to Maine we got to get up to Maine they're not letting people from Massachusetts into Maine yeah so, so it's been tough um a, a little hole in the wall divey place to check out for sure especially if you like seafood Jay's Oysters okay I've heard of it right down on the waterfront um you can get, I don't know if you've ever tried steamers. It's kind yeah. of a local oh, thing. Yeah. 
um, fantastic. You get a giant bucket of steamers and you just go to town with, like you said, a, a great local beer and something and, and you're good to go. Awesome. So yeah, Portland's just such a fantastic city to visit and especially in the summertime. I don't know if you'll be there year round, but. I will. Um, so I'm mentally preparing for the winter now because um, as the, the taxi in me is loving these like 75 degree days and stuff mm -hmm. yep. over the weekend, I will say it did get warm to 90 degrees. Um, but I'm loving the summer, but the winter will be a totally different story for me because I don't really do snow. <laughs> well, Portland's well, not as know. bad as you would think. Portland's not no. as bad as you would think because it's right on the water. So okay. inland, inland and north get get a lot more snow, but you, you get spared a little bit of it in Portland. A little. That's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got no, the, this uh, is this is like a little northeast little, not like Texas little. True. No, no. When I talk a little, I'm talking, a, you know, a foot. It's <laughs> two inches. Three inches. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, Portland's a great city. A lot of a lot of culture to check out there. So yeah, and, and enjoy it. Wander up. Portland is a great walkable city too. Uh, this turned into the Portland podcast, but that's all right. I don't care. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's fine. <laughs> One of my favorite cities to visit in the whole uh, minor league circuit. So. I can't recommend it enough. In fact, I think there's an article coming out on Stadium Journey soon about Portland. Ah. Okay. <laughs> so um, we've talked about the Portland. We've talked about contraction. You guys have anything else? Uh, any any favorite players who you you have um, run across in your in your travels? Any favorite? Sorry, I had to cough. <laughs> no, I, I no problem. Uh, any favorite players? Players. Um. Well, I mean, in Alaska, we had a pretty stacked team. So we had Nick Senzel, who's with the Cincinnati Reds right now, um, actually at the big league level, um, which is pretty cool to see. It's always nice to see the guys kind of move up. Um, you know, I really enjoyed the group that we had in Lexington in, in 2018. Um, you know, the, the crop of top prospects now that are you know, playing, I think a, quite a few of them played tonight, actually, uh, with the big league squad uh, in in Kansas City, but um, they were just a bunch of 19-year-old kids, and, and one of them, Suli Matias, just smacked a couple of bombs opening night and, and was just a kid about everything and was just so happy and just playing baseball every day. And, um, and you know, Nick Prado, who's the first baseman, you know, was always just – California guy with his flip-flops on and, and always ready to talk and um, so I, I think that crop of, of guys in, in Lexington in 2018 was uh, kind of definitely my favorite a lot of all-stars and, and a lot of talent and a uh, good Canadian manager uh, yeah. yeah I always always loved when those uh, California guys showed up with their flip-flops on yeah. okay. uh, I know you already kind of answered this before but we got a question Emma from someone who's watching right now on Twitch Sorry, I got to get my glasses on. Glasses on? Yeah, it's tough getting old, I tell you. <laughs> J.S. Caglian asked ask about uh, who your bigger, biggest inspirations were growing up and getting into the business. Ooh, biggest inspirations. Um, I think that definitely my grandfather, um, obviously. Um, I grew up listening to Eric Nadell, the, the voice of the Rangers, and, um, you know, actually he's kind of a mentor of mine now um, and has – he was actually the one who put me in contact with Susan Waldman. And um, I think that just kind of hearing those voices um, definitely inspired me. And um, then whenever I kind of came closer to minor league baseball, listening to Kirsten Carbach, who she was the voice of the Reading Fight and Phils, 
um, you know, kind of hearing that female voice was definitely in my mind, like, okay, you know, we can do this, you know, we can, we can work in minor league baseball. Um, but, but definitely I would think, you know, looking back, I think that listening to Eric Nadell and Matt Hicks of the Rangers, I think were um, kind of that inspiration of, you know, it sounds fun to be on a baseball broadcast and broadcast with your friend every day and, and go to the ballpark. So probably those two. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. So I guess before we let you go, Emma, thanks again for coming on. It's been great to talk to you and, uh, you know, miss Portland a little bit, I guess. But um, Do you want to let our listeners know uh, if they want to follow you this for the rest of the summer and the upcoming season in 2021, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so Twitter and Instagram, Emma Teeds, T-I-E-D-S. Um, it's not a whole lot of baseball these days, but it's a lot of my dog, Davy Crockett, who I don't know if you noticed he was pacing back here. They saw him, yes. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of pictures of Maine and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, you can find me there. Fantastic. And we look forward to, uh, to following you and, uh, looking forward to some baseball or is anything going on this winter? Do you do any other sports in the off season or is it all baseball all the time now? Now it is, um, until the foreseeable future when we have, I, you know, a lot of the schools up here have shut down their, their kind of fall and winter sports already. Um, it used to be basketball in the off season down in Kentucky, but I'm full-time up here, so I'm a Mainer and it's mm-hmm. 24-7. <laughs> All right. Very good. So we look forward to hearing from you again soon, Emma. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. All right. That was Emma Tiedemann from the Portland Sea Dogs. Emma, thanks for joining us. And we look forward to uh, watching you climb the ranks of the minor leagues and maybe maybe hear you in the, in the major leagues, and then we can say, hey, you knew you win. So uh, this is the part yeah, of the podcast. Yeah where we talk about where we've been. And we actually have a couple of visits we can talk about, a couple of new uh, ballparks. Mark, you said you did a little traveling over the last uh, couple I actually, of weeks. Well, no, I, I'm going to do – well, I was supposed to go to Chicago, but that got canceled because of something else. I did go to the Indy 11 game last Saturday, uh, USL Championship, uh, 2,000-seat dome NFL stadium with 300 people. Uh, it was very eerie, very quiet. They took your temperature when you went in. Not everything was open. Uh, the Brickyard Battalion, which is their supporter section, had, my goodness, maybe 15, 20 people there. They were still very boisterous. They still made their presence felt, but it definitely was a solemn atmosphere. However, if you were there to watch the game and you were worried about sitting next to somebody, you didn't have to really worry about that. Plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of room to sit someplace. And, you know, Indy won 2 nothing. So, you know, if you're a fan of the, the soccer and nothing else, that's all you really needed. Now, the Indy 11 usually draw pretty good crowds, right? They usually get – they claim about 10,000. I say they probably, they probably get seven to 8,000 people. Uh, my biggest complaint with uh, Lucas Oil is just it's just too darn big. Uh, I like their other venue better that they play uh, their playoff games at. But uh, yeah, the atmosphere is is tough because you're playing in such a big venue, uh, even with twenty thousand people there, which they've drawn a couple times. Usually, uh, when Louisville or when Cincinnati was in the league, uh, they would bring their fans up. But uh, yeah, they're, they're one of the better draws in, in that league. So, yeah, 300 people was a little bit of a letdown. Uh, I also tried to go to Louisville. They opened up their new soccer stadium, uh, but they weren't offering any press passes and tickets were sold out. Uh, so they had 
they had a little bit more people at their stadium just because I think Kentucky allows more people compared to Indianapolis. So, yeah, so I was going to ask, why were there only 300 people at the Indy game? Were they limiting, were they capping attendance or just uh, people aren't going thing. because of everything? If they were capping attendance, there should, there should have been more people. A lot of my friends and a lot of the, a lot of the people that I know that, that I'm friends with that are, that go to, go to the games were just a little bit worried uh, about social distancing. Uh, when I showed them the picture, when I showed them the video, which is on my YouTube channel, Ballpark Hunter, I said, guys, you don't have, I mean, if you're worried about social distancing, there's plenty of room to move around. I, I think the first game, a lot of people were just really questioning whether they should go or not. I thought there was going to be a lot more people. I thought they could at least pack in a thousand and, and, and a thousand people could have been spread out very easily too. But yeah, it, it was a little bit of a head scratcher. So I just think people are a little bit worried about going, uh, you know, going downtown. And now everybody has to wear a mask uh, when you're in Indianapolis, Marion County, even at the game, even outside when you're walking around close to people. That's ticked some people off. Because uh, some of the surrounding counties, like where I live, you can go do whatever you want without a mask. But in Marion County, you have to wear a mask. And you got a lot of people saying you're infringing upon their rights. and Unfortunately, this is not the time to be patriotic. It's time to be practical and safe. So everybody had a mask on at the game, which I don't think I saw anybody without a mask. Well, without trying to turn this into a political argument, <laughs> that's not patriotic. That's <laughs> no. something else. Um, <laughs> Stupid. It's, yeah. it's a, maybe people are like, I'm just not going to the game if that's the case. So, it's yeah, asinine. Yeah, it's but And I don't think they had a lot of people at the second game. I think they had a very similar. So, uh, and then of course, Victory Field, where uh, the Indianapolis Indians play. The last two weeks, they've been hosting a summer college league, which I was I was not aware of until I saw their huh. post. Uh, they look like they had a little bit more. Uh, more fans at the stadium uh, based on some of the photos I saw, which was surprising. Uh, so I won't be able to go this Thursday, maybe the Thursday after I'll be able to check it out, see what all the hype is or what they're doing differently. Cool. Yeah. I, I hit up a couple of games this past, well, not this past weekend, the weekend before. Uh, first went up to uh, see the Worcester Bravehearts of the Futures League. Now, usually the Bravehearts usually play at Fit and Field which is on the campus of Holy Cross, but the college is closed down. So they had to, at the last minute, probably just a couple days before their season started, come up with a new place to play. And the place they found was, it was Doyle Field in Lemonster, Mass, which is a, a small city of about 40,000 people. It's located about 20 minutes north of Worcester. And Doyle Field was formerly used in the Futures League. The Wachusett Dirt Dogs played there oh, for nice. seven seasons. Now, while the Dirt Dogs played there, Doyle Field was called by somebody who, who does the, uh, you know, does stadium reviews, not us, was called the worst field that they have ever been to. Now, it wasn't that bad, but yeah, it wasn't good. Doyle Field used to have these old wooden bleachers, and I swear, when we went there the first time, the bleachers were not upright like this. They were like this. And it looked like if a few people sat on them, the whole thing was going to topple over. Now, that was – the last time I was there was 2012. 
in the meantime, the city has done a lot of, invested a lot of money, improved the field. It's a giant complex. It's a giant public park. That's how they can allow people in because people can use the park. That's not restricted in Massachusetts right now. So there's a football stadium there, baseball field, soccer field, track, all these things that are open. So you're able to go, come in and bring your own chairs and sit around the outfield fence, or you can come sit on the bleachers, whatever you want to do. And the Bravehearts have done a nice job. The Bravehearts annually lead the Futures League in attendance. When they're in Worcester, they average about 2,500 fans a game, which is incredible. They play in about a 4,000-seat stadium. So they have fantastic fan support. They've moved their whole operations, the concessions, everything, up to Doyle Field. So they serve their concessions under a little tent. Uh, you can't get more affordable. It's free admission because you're in a public park. It's free parking at the park. Um, if you want to get a little something to eat, you can get a, a value meal, they call it, or a, what did they call it? Yeah. Adult meal or a kid's meal. It had a hamburger, french fries, a beer, and they had a good selection of beer too, a couple local craft beers. I had a Green Monster IPA from Wachusa Brewery. And you got a hat, you got a Braveheart's hat for 15 bucks for the whole shebang. So it was a great time. And the next day, we went there on a Saturday night, and on Sunday we went and saw the Westfield Starfires, who play in Westfield, Mass., which is in Western Massachusetts. It's a suburb of Springfield. Uh, Billy, they play at Billy Bullens Park. It was stinking hot the day we went. It was probably 90, 95 degrees. Uh, Billy Bullens Park is a park that was built for the Babe Ruth World Series. And the city of Westfield has had a national 13-year-old championship team and a 14-year-old championship team. So it's a big Babe Ruth area. And for the last two years, this is the second season for the Starfires, they've had a summer college team play there. Uh, it's just a little concrete grandstand with plastic chairs bolted into it, little plastic bucket chairs. It's pretty funny looking. You see it. Um, and it seats maybe a thousand people. The day we were there, it was really hot. There's no shade anywhere. There was maybe a hundred people there. So plenty of room to spread out and social distance. Um, it was a good time. The funny thing about the grandstand, it was a little off center. So we first we sat down on the third base side. The grandstand ends, you know, it's got a little curved grandstand, you know, shaped like this, like for you. But the end of the grandstand on one side ends at home plate. So you kind of got to look this way at everything. So we just moved to the other side. Everything was straight on. It was a good time, except for the heat. And the Starfires offer their own special IPA. You can only get there at the ballpark uh, from local brewery Amherst Brewing Company. So even these small co summer college teams now are in the beer business something to say yeah it makes sense it, it, it makes sense uh my question with with uh with the brave hearts what are what are their plans next year well and yeah um in reading reading uh interviews with the owner he he is very doubtful that they would be able to coexist with the Sox because you know the, the Sox are going to be like the yard goats were in Hartford. they're going to be a smash success they're going to get ten thousand nights but but even that though leave. Even though the Bravehearts have been very successful, 2,000 fans a game, correct? Yep, 2,500 2, a game. But, but I, I don't think I think those fans are going to just gravitate over to Polar Park and uh, Pro know. Baseball, the AAA team of the Red Sox. You're right smack dab in the middle of Red Sox territory here. Worcester is no exception. Um, and Even it's sponsors. Also, 
Yeah, and it's only 40 minutes from Pawtucket. So for the fans who live north and west of Pawtucket, they're just going to drive the other direction. There's not going to be much of a change for them. Unfortunately for somebody like me who lives mm -hmm. 30, 40 minutes east of Pawtucket, now I've got an hour, hour, 15-minute drive to get to Polar Park. So it hurts, it hurts my side of, of the fan base, for the Pawtucket fan base. So the Woo Sox and the Bravehearts, I don't think they're going to coexist. So this may end up turning into a trial run. Maybe Doyle Field will turn into a permanent home for the Bravehearts. And how far is Doyle Field from? From Worcester? 20 yeah. minutes. 20 minutes. Oh, okay. um, I don't know if it would be a, a great landing spot for them because it's not really a stadium, per se. They've got a couple yeah. bleachers. They've got plenty of room. The Dirt Dogs were never very successful. But uh, the game day presentation was nowhere near what I saw from the Brave Hearts. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. We'll see if this is I, – I think I wrote that in my review of Doyle Field, that will this, will this be an audition? It'll be interesting to see. We're running out of old minor league parks to uh, put teams in. Although if contraction happens, um, you're saying goodbye to the uh, Lowell Spinners. Yeah. They're saying goodbye to uh, the uh, Vermont Lake Monsters. Oh. And you're saying goodbye to the Connecticut Tigers or the Nor Norwich Sea Unicorns now. They yeah, Sea Unicorns. Yeah, they never, <laughs> never even had a chance to play under that name. Yeah, and, and you're saying goodbye to the Paw Sox. So you got four minor league stadiums without tenants next year, potentially. Yeah. So. Do, do summer college teams jump in? Do independent league teams jump in? Does the, do you see uh, – the Can-Am yeah, League or the Atlantic League move in? I, yeah, I can see. I can see both of them. Well, the Can-Am League's the Frontier League now, right? Uh, but right, they're they in the Can. Yeah, they're the Can-Am division. So, wow, it'd be like a race to pick up those teams. I can see the teams. Atlantic League moving into McCoy. Probably not the other ballpark. So, yeah, Lowell's the Atlantic kind of, League. Go ahead. Yeah, the Atlantic League doesn't. Uh, they can't end just – yeah, the Frontier League is, I think, a little more active in the, the Atlantic League. I think they're getting Gastonia based on another podcast that I was on. I think they're heading down there. And, um, yeah, I can see them going into into uh, Pawtucket. But you're right. You know, Norwich would be a prime spot. Lowell. Yep. Then, you know, you're starting over again. You're trying to get that fan base. You're trying to get the sponsorship. So, right. will the fans embrace the independence? I hope so. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting this this off season. We're going to have a lot to talk about this winter. There's going to be a lot to talk about. You're absolutely right. Uh, so that's where I went. This uh, I didn't go anywhere the last weekend, but the weekend before, a little traveling, and now I have finished the entire futures league. Cool. Because Brockton is not allowing fans now. Bro the Brockton story is kind of interesting. If I got if we got a minute here to indulge me, uh, Brockton. Yeah, go for it. At the beginning, before the season started, we're selling tickets to the Rocks at Campanelli Stadium. Then they were told by the city, no fans. Massachusetts Phase 3 does not allow for fans at adult sporting events. Youth sporting events, you can have fans. Adults, no. Go figure. Um, anyway, Brockton says, hey, we got a loophole. We can have a beer garden open and serve food and drink to a limited amount of fans in our beer garden. So they were letting 100 people in a game. And it was working out well, I guess. But then the city said, nope, close the loophole. That's not allowed. So, so now there are no fans at Rocks games. Wow. 
Yeah. And uh, the same goes for North Shore, which is the sixth team in the league. Um, mm -hmm. No fans in North Shore. So, so I've seen hey. all the baseball I, I'm going to see in the future league. Well, what, what about Newport? Have you been to any of those red, blue? Newport games? is not. Yep. Newport's not allowing fans in the games. Oh, wow. So you can't go in Cardines, but uh, Mark, you've been to Cardines, obviously. So yes. you can sit beyond the outfield fence. There's a playground in left field. You can sit mm -hmm. in that area. There's probably room for maybe a dozen people. Um, and then in right field, there's a parking lot. So you, people have also sat out there. Now the restaurant that was there that used to have the little deck you could sit on yeah. right on the field, yeah. closed down. Really? So that's, that's not an option anymore. Oh, that how did that close down? That was like an awesome spot. Well, a little history of that. That used to be called the Mudville Pub, and it was yeah. owned for a long time in the 80s and the 90s by Kevin Stakem. I don't know if that name sounds familiar to anyone. No, he was an no, NBA no. basketball player from the area, uh, played okay. for the Celtics and the Buffalo Braves, I believe. Oh, yeah, Buffalo Braves. I think. I, I, I may have that wrong, but he was an NBA player for a little while, for, you know, seven, eight years. Came back to Newport, uh, bought the bar, ran it. Fantastic food, nice pub atmosphere. But it's been sold a couple of times since then, and every sale, the restaurant has seemed to decline in quality. And uh, the last time it was sold, they're gutting it, and I think they're trying to start a. What I was told is they're starting a different business there. It's not going to, even going to be a restaurant anymore. So. Oh wow! Yeah, because that was the only spot where you can sit and, and have a beer, and yes. watch the game. Right. And they then a there was a closed yeah. patio there. Yeah. Which, which I have a video of that as well on YouTube, Pardeen's Field. So, and then yep. there's a, out in left field, there's a gentleman's deck from his house that borders. But you can't the sit there. That's a private residence. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's probably like, oh, I, I could just go my backyard and watch. So, yep. yeah, it's just one, that is probably the funkiest field you'll ever see a baseball game at. Yep. And they got a new scoreboard that they haven't been able to show off yet. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Um, we'll talk about. We've talked about Cardines before. It's got a lot of quirks to it. So uh, yeah. So I haven't been there. I said to Pam one day, "Let's go down to Cardines." Said, I am not sitting outside a ballpark looking through a fence to watch a game. So <laughs> if, if we get desperate over the next three, I think they got three weekends left. If we get desperate for a game, maybe want a little. You know, Newport's got some great restaurants, great bars. So oh, yeah, we want to. If we want to do that, we'll we'll head down. But right now, it looks doubtful. So, uh, Dave, any? I don't think you've done any trips, but anything exciting going on you want to share? I I, I did do a trip, <gasps> just a little one. So, of course, we don't have any uh, live sports happening up here at all. Um, in fact, the federal government has decided that there shall not be any Toronto Blue Jays up here. Uh, word is is that Pittsburgh is looking like I heard that like the uh, the spot where they're going to land. So last article I saw, actually, the Pirates were were actually um, opening up and and open to the idea of the Blue Jays playing there as well. So See, I liked when they uh, were talking about Buffalo and everybody's saying, "Yeah, we can call them the BJ's." <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, we yeah, I think we've already been down that path. The original mascot uh, for the the Jays was named BJ Birdie, and oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> You Canadians. Now he's ace. You know, I think I like the BJs a little better now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, I've ever known his ace. I didn't know he had another name. Oh, BJ for Blue Jays. I get it. Yeah, BJ. <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome to welcome to Earth, Paul. 
Uh, he's a little slow, but he gets there. Yay. <laughs> if they called him BJ's, I totally wouldn't be as mad about Joe Carter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyway. Anyway, um, so no, Jackson and I hopped in the car. We drove to uh, St. Mary's, Ontario. We took in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, which is about as live sportish as I can get around here. Although we did drive by uh, a community center yesterday and somebody was holding a martial arts class outside. Does that count? We sort of turned our did you Did you stop and by. watch? <laughs> no, not really. Keep score? Or not do some um, announcing in your head? So, yeah, we went through the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. It's in St. Mary's. What's the matter? Which is just a little town uh, outside of Stratford. Um, Stratford being known for the for the uh, Stratford Festival, which is a Shakespearean play, as we listen to Mark bang around with his dog. Mark's throwing his dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, my dog was crying. Okay. Apparently. So it's the the Hall of Fame's in in St. Mary's because that's kind of in Oxford County where St. Mary's is is the basically the heritage of baseball in Canada which goes back all the way into the 1830s. Um it's not huge. It's it's nice there's some displays. Uh they they open up the uh inductees a little bit broader like you don't have to be Canadian to be inducted. Um, so there are a number of people there who who played for the for the Jays or who played for the Expos. Uh, all of the they have the the Tip O'Neill Award there, which is the award um, given to the top Canadian baseball player, which has been dominated in the last three decades by like two guys, you know, Larry Walker. I think Jackson actually counted, and I think Larry Walker is like one or two Tip O'Neill awards ahead of Joey Votto. <laughs> so uh, this year's inductees include uh, uh, Justin Morneau and John Olerud and Dwayne Ward and uh, Jacques Doucette. Jacques Doucette was the French radio broadcaster for the Expos. But, you know, we had a good time there. Um, had to send you a picture of the worst seats in the, in the history of baseball. Yeah, that looked like an egg. Warp from warp popped out of that thing. Yeah, that was a, a seat from uh, Olympic Stadium in Montreal. It was just Great memories. Little buckets, and they're horrible. They, they're definitely not like the uh, the seat that you posted about on Stadium Journey today. The uh, William Taft. Yeah, it was the opposite. The opposite. <laughs> it wasn't the double wide seat. It was the half the size seat. I wish that would that double wide seat was still at Yale Field, man, because that would be very comfortable for me. That'd be funky. Uh, funny story though, the the Hall of Fame, of course, is looking to for ways to make money, so they've got a silent auction on. I went on the silent auction. They had a, a package of like six six uh, baseball books, and the bid was the bid was about a hundred bucks. So I was like, ah, oh, what the heck, I'll I'll up the bid. So then got to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there's that picture. You got to say something so that people can see it, Paul. Yeah, if you're looking at, at our Twitch feed right now, this is the seat Dave's talking about. This is an actual uh, seat from Olympic Stadium. Oh, no, it's a toilet. <laughs> no, that, that was the seat. That's not a lie. That's yeah. not lying. Or as I like it? to call it, the Expo's throne. 
Yeah, yeah. they're pretty bad. Yeah, That's, that looks that looks like a butt buster right there. I don't. That yeah. doesn't even look uh, comfortable for a thin guy. It doesn't no, look like a chair. No, just horrible. They were like, did it, did it go this way? No. <laughs> no, no, that's right. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I, I put a bid on these books, um, six books, and it was over a hundred bucks. So when I got to the Hall of Fame, and they had this table with discount books on it, and all six of those books were on the table, <laughs> listed for ten what? bucks a piece. Oh God! <laughs> I hope you didn't win the auction. Thankfully, I was outbid. <laughs> so I didn't want the option, but yeah. So that was our that was our trip to uh, to St. Mary's Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and you know that's just about all that all that we got going on. I'm gonna look into it. We might be able to actually do the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, I think I'm not sure if it's open or not. Um, I know the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame is has only opened in the last uh, two weeks or something, and things are starting to open up. But Toronto is. Toronto is still behind um, most of the rest of Ontario. And, and the induction, induction weekend, of course, has been pushed off until next year. So, so those guys. Uh, Did they announce who, was, who went in this year? Yeah. Uh, uh, Justin Morneau, John Olerud, Dwayne Ward, Jacques Doucette. Interesting thing, though, um, kind of big news here was the uh, E, I guess it was an E60, um, little documentary on, on Roy Halliday. Uh, Roy Halliday actually was at his induction in into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and his plane crashed um, about a month later. So he was actually at his Canadian induction, and of course was unable to be at the one, uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame. That was my visit. All right. So which is the best visit I've had since February 29. No you know what? You, you, you take this year, I'll take any bit anywhere, and I will enjoy it. I'm with you there. Yeah, I've really appreciated going to uh, New Britain and Nashua and Westfield and Worcester. Yeah. Any game is better than no game at all, correct? I'm sure that's something we can all agree on. So that's where we'll wrap it up for tonight. I want to thank everyone who's stuck with us on Twitch and everyone who's listening to us later on. We appreciate you. So first of all, thanks for thanks to Emma Tiedemann for joining us tonight. Uh, Dan, where can our listeners follow you online? You can watch me, Emma, and her boyfriend go at it on Twitter. Do you want to explain what that means to our listeners who may may not have uh, known the story behind the story here? Yes. Yeah, so the the gentleman, uh, Jay Skaggs, as I'm calling him right now, uh, who was asking questions on Twitch was her boyfriend Jesse, and uh, and now they're making fun of each other on my tweet. <laughs> awesome. That's something yeah, for me to do. But it's today. at Danlaw83. Please. Also, if you're listening to this, or if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, please go to Twitch and follow for free twitch.tv slash Dan 93 to watch us live. Or just follow and tell your friends. Just play it in the go. background. I don't care if you watch. As long as I get the ratings, I don't care. As they said in Animal House, don't cost nothing. It don't cost nothing. Mark, uh, Eddie Stadium Journey's planned for you. And where can our listeners follow you online? Yes, this Thursday I'll be in Lansing, Michigan for the inaugural game of the Lemonade League. It's hosted by the Lansing Lugnuts. Seven inning games, 
all tied games going into the eighth are going to be decided by a home run derby and all the baseballs will be yellow. So I will be there this Thursday night to check out this historic event. Uh, three hour drive because just like everyone else, I am starving for baseball. And there's much going on here in Indianapolis or the state. Uh, so be some way to enjoy it. Get a little mini trip this year. And you can check out that information on uh, uh, Twitter or YouTube at Ballpark Hunter. Hey, I saw my first uh, tiebreaker home run derby this past weekend. And it, I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. They did a three-minute home run yeah, derby. Yeah, sounds and, like fun. Sounds like and fun. And the one guy, beat, the guy who won it was like 11 to 10. They were just launching balls out of oil field. It was a lot of fun. Wow. So, uh, Dave, where can our listeners follow your travels? And are there any travels? My travels. Well, the literary, the literary journey continues. So just finished uh, reading uh, A Tribe Reborn, which is about the resurgence of the Cleveland Indians. It was, it was not too bad. And uh, rolled into the Battle of Alberta. So that is, now that's a rivalry. Whew, that's pretty bad. Um, but you can follow me, uh, not on Instagram, because again, February 29th. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter, uh, at Profan9. And if you want to check out maybe the future of podcasting, oh, yeah. um, check yep, out yep. The Batter's Eye on uh, YouTube and and see Jackson as he uh, counts down the top batters and the top pitchers. And uh, it's all on, it's all done by himself. I did practically nothing. Yep, Jackson is in training to replace his all. Look out, Dave, your job's in, on the line. Well, yeah. But just got to work retire. on the camera angle. Uh, you know what? Everybody has a podcast these days. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? And you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. Uh, over the next fortnight, um, we are considering fortnight. a trip. Fortnight. Yep. I I mean the old English word fortnight, which means oh. two weeks. Um, but Mark, we're going to beat your trip if we do this, because we're considering driving up to Glens Falls, New York, to catch the Independent Collegiate Summer League. They play at East Field, which is an old minor league ballpark in Glens Falls, oh, yeah. New York which is three and a half hours away from us. But that's yeah. all up in the air right now. We'll see if we do it or not. That's quite a drive yeah. just to go up to a game. <laughs> East Field, 40th anniversary. There's a great story how that stadium uh, came into existence. Uh, Schenectady did not want to have a ballpark. So they found uh, a ball field and they said, hey, let's let's put a stadium here and just built it from scratch. So that be curious to see your, your opinion about that. Um, either this coming Saturday or the next one. Uh, if we're, we've got that itch to scratch, we'll be hitting the road. So until next time, check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Stadium Journey. You can find our podcast at vocnation.com or just search VOC Nation on iTunes or Android. And you can check out the video simulcasts of all of our podcasts on Stadium Journey's YouTube page, and don't forget, we simulcast all our episodes live at twitch.tv slash danlaw83. We will all return in two weeks, and we will be joined by Dustin Reese to talk about venues in the great city of Chicago. Again, nice. thanks to Emma Tiedemann for joining us tonight. For Dan Calachico, Mark Viquez, and Dave Cotney, I am Paul Baker. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves. 
And more importantly, let's take care of each other. Across the desert, bear man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I've traveled, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been everywhere. Hey, this is a Total Package of Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you know Ray there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Kaku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with history, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airline cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Taylor, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the traveling sports fan, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stags of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, here you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.